Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. His message is entitled, Faith Without Limits. Faith without limits, something most of us don't have, that it would be nice to have. Scriptures tell us if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. Jesus walked on water. If we really wanted to give ourselves a test, we could try that one some warm sun, summer's afternoon. But the times we live in are interesting and challenging, challenging for faith. We're in the backdrop, the conclusion of the 6,000 years, man's rule for 6,000 years, followed by 1,000 years rule in the millennium. Traditionally, it was believed that creation was about 4,004 BC, which would end the 2,000 years in 1996. So we're a little bit beyond that, but we don't really know when to start to count, and we don't know really how to count in light of the 70 weeks prophecy, where there seems to be a hold on time. And if you don't count the years from Jesus' birth to Jesus' death, it adds 33 years or so on, and it comes out to about 2030. Interesting. And that's just one of the things laying before us that can impact our faith. We have the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the remaining prophecy. The man on the white horse, the wars, the famines, and then the fourth seal, death from all causes over 25% of the earth. 25% of the earth, is that a contiguous 25%? Contiguous, that meaning all of those nations have common borders to one another, so you're talking about Israel, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, or is it 25% from around the entirety of the earth, Australia, Britain, Germany, America? Of course, we don't know the answer to that one. And then looming on the horizon is the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And then we have the warnings. The warnings, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also are transformed as ministers of righteousness. And Jesus in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So we have challenges to our faith. And it's interesting that Jesus comments about the average man on the street in Matthew 24, 36 through 39. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. It's really interesting that in the face of the horsemen of the apocalypse and death over 25% of the earth, and in the face of the tribulation and time of Jacob's trouble, and they're marrying and giving and marrying, eating and drinking, as if everything is fine. Man on the street won't recognize what is actually going on around them, or they won't care as long as they are experiencing the good times. But if we turn to Genesis 6, 5 through 8, we get a different perspective upon the events of Noah's day. It's God's perspective. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creepy thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just like those of us that have been chosen by him to have his Holy Spirit, have been given his grace. Facing the sixth and seventh seal of Revelation, verses 12 through 17, they will begin to see the signs. And they will hide in the rocks and in the dens of the rocks because they recognize what is beginning to happen. And followed quickly by the sixth trumpet plagues that precede the coming of the Son of Man to gather the elect. They will be aware of these supernatural events happening. But it's going to be very stressful also on those to preserve their faith. And in John 14, verses 25 and 27, Jesus spoke, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. Whatsoever I said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not the world gives peace, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that Jesus Christ gives to you is the peace to endure and transform yourself into being able to sustain through those very difficult times that are prophesied. And that's integral to faith. Shortly before leaving the earth, Jesus said in his disciples earlier in the same chapter, in verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
we equate faith and belief as one package. Our faith works both spiritually and physically. It works in the current situation that we're in here on earth and in the future. So it has two applications, current and the future. There are many aspects also of faith. It's our belief in God that he will hear our prayers and answer our prayers. But it's also us being faithful to him. It's a two-sided street here. Faith from both sides. He expects us to be faithful also. Faithful to him. I want to go through about six different aspects of faith that perhaps we have, we are aware of, perhaps we are not aware of them. And I've already just touched on one aspect of it, that it's two-way. It's our faith and belief in him, that he answers our prayers, hears our prayers, walks with us, and is with us, and it's our faithfulness to him. But in Philip. Philippians 1.27, it talks about striving together for faith. Only let your conversation be as it belongs, as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's interesting because unity in the church comes through the spirit, not through political manipulation. Unity in the spirit. And Paul recognizes that there is a diversity in understanding and some diversity uh, so that unity is not perfect. But it's something to be striven for together. Together. Not singularly where I go home in my prayer closet and I look at my, asp my vision of what is happening, and I pray about that in my own little cubicle, while someone else, any of you over here in your prayer closet, you're looking at it from the opposite side of the coin, and you're praying perhaps maybe just the opposite. You ever do that? Ever, I was in a meeting one time. It made a profound effect upon me. The head honcho makes this statement and specifies activities that he wants certain individuals to do. And walking out of the meeting and down the hall with one of the people that got an assignment who didn't say anything about it, didn't raise his hand and object, he says, I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's right. Well, then why didn't you tell the man? Talk to him. But he's going to be up there thinking, this is going on, and nothing's happening, nothing. Maybe you get fired. You know, hey, it depends on the attitude of the man. But I, that really had a profound effect upon me. I, I never forget the fact that he never said anything, that he wasn't going, he just wasn't going to do it. So striving together for the faith, because that's what we need to have, is belief. We can encourage each other in our faith with one spirit and one mind. And we can 
and the other thing that I had experienced that happened is you can say, I can say one thing, either up here or personally, and you can say it up here. And a person sitting over there takes it one way, and a person over there takes it the other way. It's just like, oh my goodness, how do we ever communicate at all? You know, my, we have to define everything down to the nth degree sometimes. So that's striving. That's one aspect of improving our faith. Striving, and I want to emphasize together, together, together. You know, we have a little meeting over here before services where we get together. We, we just review what's going to happen in the sequence of things. And we're praying together, together. It's important, very important. The next aspect of faith that I'd like to look at is contend. Back in Jude 1, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 3. Not chapter 3, it doesn't exist. Verse 3, Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So faith isn't something that we hear the word and we, hear the, we, we respond to the seed the sower of the seed, the parable. And we respond to that. But there's more to it. The applications of your faith, what you think God will do or won't do, comes into play here. And you need to contend for the faith because you can be at risk of losing that faith. As, as I mentioned earlier in the scripture, um, where Jesus said, if it's possible to deceive even the very elect, things are going to be very, so good. This, this deception at the end time is going to be very clever. It's going to be very good. One kink in our armor is perhaps when we don't get an answered prayer. There's something really, really big and important in our life, and we don't get an answered prayer because, hey, God, I'm expecting you to take care of this. And God's up there saying, well, you know, you're mature, adult, you've grown up. You know the way? I want to see you do it. I want to see how you are going to handle it because I want to know what's in your heart, in your mind, what your skills and abilities are. So you have that, you have that contend for the faith and you can get into this betwixt and between. Gee, should I do it? Or should I let God do it? Well, even if you do do it and you screw it up, he can still make it right, right? But you use it with wisdom. With wisdom. Study the, the Proverbs, study the Psalms, study the examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another aspect of faith is what is the motivation behind it? There's a motivation for having faith. Galatians 5, 6. <clears throat> for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. The primary motivation factor for faith in demonstrating your works by faith is love. It's love. Even when you're even when you're dealing with extremely difficult individuals and maybe even those that hate the gospel. As the man, his name escapes me now, who carried his cross around the world, even in Iraq, and he was 
I mentioned this before, surrounded by Islamic radicals and they threatened to kill him and he says, you can't kill me, all you can do is initiate my transition. They invited him back to camp for dinner and had a nice discussion that night and in the morning he went on his way. So, motivation, love, love for even your enemy. And Jesus taught that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, he talks about charity and how significant it is. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounded brass or as a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and not have charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envious not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, nor does it behave itself unseemly, seeking not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Quite a challenging list to be 100% in compliance with. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And continuing in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and charity, these three. We have those things, those three characteristics on our benches out here. I don't know if you've gone out to our little area where we have our children playing. We have some benches out there. And each of those benches is faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is charity. It directs and influences how we do and what we do, the actions that we take. It influences the direction that we go, the path, the fork to the left or to the right. Continuing in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9. Therefore, we always are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It comes into influencing the demonstration of our faith by our works. Our walk by faith. Our decision making. And faith <clears throat> by the Spirit. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all of these work that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man as he wills. So faith, given as a gift by the spirit, 
think there's a principle there when we go back and look at that in terms of togetherness with the spirit and church unity. And it is by faith that we can access the internet. No, what are you talking about? What do you mean the internet? No, you see, faith is our access to grace. So just as your password on the internet to get on an internet site is your pass to get onto that internet site, faith is your access to grace. It says so in Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his, this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we have access by faith into his grace. It's just like our password on the internet. And the result of that is that it leads to salvation. Hebrews 11, 6 through 7. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them, that, key word here, diligently seek him. And we, start, we talked earlier about striving for the faith and contending for the faith. It's part of the diligence in seeking him. By faith, Noah being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Direct parallel, Old Testament, to the New Testament. Being warned of God of things not yet seen, the prophecies that we touched on earlier, the four horsemen, and we can expand that into the prophecies in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 10, Isaiah 13, uh, Zechariah 14, uh, Matthew 24, we touched on the book of Revelation. Um, there's just so many scriptures that talk about the end time and give us a vision of those things not yet seen. And Noah moved with fear, preparing to the saving of his house. Some of the results of faith, justification, we all know that, I probably. Where is boasting then? Romans 3, 27 and 28. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And we know that James expounds on that, how you demonstrate your faith by your works. So justification is by faith, but faith does more than just justification. If we go and turn to Acts 15, 8 and 9, and God who knows the heart bears them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So, faith purifies the heart. That's the second thing. The first one's justification. 
Second one is purification. But it's not done there. There's still more. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inherit among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Faith brings about justification, it brings about purification, and it brings about sanctification. And we're encouraged by Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. For we also are weak in, in him. We are weak in him. But we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Continuing in verse 5. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith, Prove your own selves, knowing that Jesus Christ is in you. So that's some of the things that we can look at in examining ourselves are the things that we went through earlier and also where our heart is. Are we troubled by the prophecies of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the tribulation? Where is our heart when we read those things? Examine ourselves in light of justification, purification, and sanctification. Evaluate ourselves in our access to grace. And finishing up in John 10, 26 through 30, But you believe not, because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than I. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. You're the sheep. Jesus is head of the church. You all hear his voice. You know where he's leading you, where he's leading us. Corporately, as a church, individually, in your own life. Rely on him. Trust on him, build your faith, take actions to improve your faith through some of the things that we went here, went through here in the last 30 minutes or so.